On July 27th, lawmakers in the Jordanian capital of Amman met to debate a new cybercrime bill that had been brought before parliament. Six hours of heated debate ensued. The government insisted that it was needed to protect the country's citizens as they used the internet, while others feared how the broad nature of the law would be used. Member of Parliament Salah al-Almuti spoke to reporters outside the parliament building. I said under the parliament dome that this is not acceptable and this will affect our security, stability and sovereignty. All the Jordanian people will be jailed. Jordan will turn into a big jail. In spite of the protests inside the chamber, it passed, with a majority of MPs voting for the bill. This prompted protests outside the chamber, with Jordanians urging King Abdullah II of Jordan not to sign the bill into law. The king did not heed their calls and ratified the bill on August 12th. With this, human rights organisations from around the world sounded the alarm about what the bill could mean for Jordan and basic rights and freedoms in the country. This week on The New Arab Voice, what's in Jordan's new cybercrime bill? How will it impact Jordanians? And what does it mean for democratic hopes in the country? My name is Hugo Goodridge, and you're listening to The New Arab Voice. Perhaps the first point to make is that Jordan's new cybercrime bill is not actually new. It's a revision of an existing law that has been on the books since 2015. Now, the purpose of the bill, according to the Jordanian legislature, is to respond to the rapidly changing and new emerging cyber crimes. This is Malwa Fatafta. Malawa is a digital rights advocate and works as the MENA policy and advocacy manager at Access Now, a global digital rights organization. And hence, they got rid of the old and have this new law in place, protect critical infrastructure, to also protect people and their rights from harassment, blackmail, fraud, incitement to violence, hate speech and the like. They also want to regulate their relationship with social media companies. These aren't terrible ambitions. Jordanians, like all internet users, have the right to be protected from criminal elements. But it is the ambiguous phrasing of the bill that has left so many people worried. It criminalises a lot of speech and activity based on elastic and vague terms. While the original 2015 bill had 41 articles... The most recent cybercrime bill has squeezed that down to just 15. So, for instance, the uh, bill criminalises the spread and the sharing of fake news. And again, who decides what fake news is in a non-democratic situation? It also criminalises things like promoting, instigating, aiding or inciting immorality. And that immorality also raises a big question of who decides what's moral and what is not. It should be obvious that this is a dangerous flaw in the bill. The vague nature of the wording in the bill provides the Jordanian authorities a vast scope to prosecute those they believe are offenders. It also allows the authorities to be constantly shifting the goalposts. From day to day and even case to case, 
the law can be twisted to fit whatever is required by the authorities. The new law can also be used to protect individuals from scrutiny and criticism. Um, there are victims around online assassination of personalities. So imagine if you are a journalist and you want to write about a corrupt politician or a corrupt businessman. Under this new cybercrime bill, you can be accused of uh, assassinating someone's personality or defaming them based on this very broad terminology. There's also things related to provoking strife or undermining national unity or spreading content for religions. All these vague terms allow the authorities to interpret people's speech and prosecute them as they see fit or as, as they want. There is a genuine fear among human rights defenders that the vague terminology in the bill and the threat of prosecution will create an atmosphere of self-censorship online in Jordan. So, for example, under Article 24 of, of the law, anyone who publishes the names or pictures of law enforcement officials online or any news about them uh, without prior authorization uh, can face a minimum prison sentence of three months and a huge fine ranging between 5,000 Jordanian dinars up to 25,000 Jordanian dinars. And these are very disproportionate sanctions. But it also means that you won't be as a normal person or as an activist or a human rights organization or as a journalist to be able to hold government or law enforcement officials accountable. And again, imagine a scenario, and that had happened in Jordan in the past, where people are protesting and also documenting police brutality or crackdown on protesters. I think under this bill, of course, such an act could potentially put you in danger or you could be prosecuted for documenting or referring to any law enforcement official for uh, any crime they've committed or you know, for any human rights abuses that might have occurred. The new law will severely limit what content can be viewed and what Jordanians can say. Jordanians hoping to call out corruption or human rights abuses in the country will also face severe punishment. But in the 21st century, there are all manner of ways to hide your identity when online. You've probably seen adverts for tools that can help. They're known as virtual private networks, or VPNs. But with yet more broad language, these two are now outlawed. Essentially, what the bill does, it levies a penalty or a sanction of at least six months in prison and of, or a fine for anyone who uses a VPN or a proxy or safe tools such as Tor in order to conceal um, their identity online and their IP address. So even though it doesn't directly criminalize or explicitly criminalize the use of VPNs, but the way it's worded, it effect effectively means that VPNs use in, in Jordan is now criminalized. So far, so terrible. But while the Jordanian state is seeking to further stamp its authority on online spaces, it is still private enterprises and companies that have the ownership of these platforms. Well, the government in Amman thought of that as well. Now, under the current bill, once it goes into effect, the law requires social media companies that have uh, more than 100,000 subscribers or followers in Jordan to have offices in the country. 
and to respond to requests and orders made by judicial authorities and government officials. What does that mean? It simply means that the government wants the companies to respond to requests for content removal, so censorship, or to pass the personal information of users. So think about um, anonymous users or people who share information and the government is interested to know who stands behind that account, who runs it, um, who is the person behind the anonymous name on Facebook or any of those social media platforms. With a physical presence in the country, it's much easier for the state to impose itself on foreign companies. And if these companies choose not to cooperate with the state's demands, then there are provisions for that as well. If the, the, the companies don't comply with those requests, they face a number of sanctions. So within six months, if you don't respond to the government request, you'll be banned from advertising, which is one of the main revenues, profit revenues for those companies. And then if you still don't comply, you'll be gradually uh, throttled. So your bandwidth is restricted uh, by, I believe, by 25%, all the way up to 75%. So effectively, it will not be usable. Jordan is not the first country to enact such a policy. Turkey, also not unfamiliar with authoritarian trends, implemented a similar policy in 2020. Saudi Arabia, the UAE and Bahrain are also notorious for their draconian cybercrime laws. I mean, from a civil society perspective, one is hoping that the companies will say no. Because again, like we know what the outcome of such provisions are. So if companies open offices or have, have local representatives or legal presence in the country, it means that they essentially have to comply with national laws. Right now, the ecosystem or the, the relationship between, let's say, the Jordanian government and the platforms are the Jordanian government can issue judicial orders, let's say, to a company like Meta and say, look, this content is uh, illegal in my country according to this law, therefore you have to take it down. Now, companies don't necessarily have to comply. Sometimes they do, but sometimes they would say, well, this is actually violates human rights and therefore we can't abide or we, can't, we won't comply with their request. For social media users, they have to rely on the good moral compass of tech billionaires to protect the sensitive data that end users put on their platforms. An important point here to emphasize is that some platforms are different than others. I mean, if you look at platform like X under the leadership of Musk, um, I don't think that they would necessarily, for instance, resist, you know, or try to make a stand against the Jordanian authorities, you know, which Twitter has done in the past. They have taken stands in India and in, in Nigeria, uh, but under Musk's leadership, we know that compliance rate with government requests have increased. So I, I don't think, for example, X will necessarily be one that would stand up and defend the Jordanians' rights, the freedom of expression and privacy online. So it remains to be seen, but I really, really hope that companies will weigh what the cons and pros are here and take a stand not to comply with, with the law once it comes into effect. Everyone has the right to online privacy. No one should have to worry about whether the government is watching everything they do. But in conservative societies like Jordan, 
online privacy and anonymity is vital. And with this new bill, human rights organisations are warning that it will be those who are most in need of online anonymity that will be most impacted. So if we look at the law in what criminalises in terms of speech, there are clauses or articles that, um, as I mentioned before, criminalise the promotion, instigation, aiding or inciting immorality. And here we pause and think about what does society and also the government see as acts of immorality? Uh, it could be feminist movements, it could be LGBTQ communities, uh, it could be anyone who takes basically a stand against social social norms or, or political norms in the country. And so from that perspective, I think feminist, queers, LGBTQ communities will be disproportionately and negatively impacted by this law. All of this is happening in a in a in a context where increasingly these groups find themselves under attack. And the law can definitely be weaponized to target and prosecute individuals for um, their activism or for simply existing as they are uh, for their sexual and gender identities. The recently adopted cybercrime bill will give the government and King Abdullah the opportunity to suppress any online dissent. But why? Why is the king seeking such extraordinary and far-reaching powers? From my point of view, he expresses many times that his concerns about the stability of the country, about the stability of his uh, authorities in the country. And the recent constitutional amendments enhances his power. This is Jamal Al-Tahat. Jamal is a senior consultant at Democracy for the Arab World Now, or DAWN. He has spent decades advocating for democratization in Jordan. The, all of these uh, steps uh, raise the question about whether he is uh, thinking of uh, genuine challenges to his authorities and to his power, or he just wants to enhance his, his power to transform the style of state in Jordan from being a semi-constitutional monarchy before to become like a Gulfian area or Gulfian countries now. Royal family members by constitution were forbidden from doing or from being engaged in any public issues in, in the public sphere. But with the recent amendments and with the recent practice, actually, members of the royal family, they became involved in business via special organizations that endorsed by royal decrees, laws and royal decrees. And this actually, the shift and the violation of the Article 26 from the Constitution for the king to rely more on his uh, family, this means a real shift in the form of the state, the power equation in the society in general. As Jamal sees it, there are two possible or should that be probable, lines of thought. King Abdullah is concerned about the security of his position at the top of the country and seeks to secure it for the future. And additionally, having spent recent years centralising power around him 
and his family, he only ever wants more power and the trappings that come with his position. In recent years, the King of Jordan has utilized the police and the courts to persecute his opponents and civil society activists. In April of this year, at least 150 activists, journalists, teachers and former members of parliament were arrested to prevent them from taking part in protests. In 2022, mass arrests were conducted to prevent a teacher's syndicate sit-in at the Ministry of Education. And there was, of course, the highly publicised arrest of King Abdullah's brother, Prince Hamza. He was accused of plotting a coup against the king, although little to no solid evidence was ever presented for this. The recent changes to the cybercrime law could be further efforts by the state to suppress and contain dissent. The king would seek to suppress and contain dissent to ensure that him and his family can continue to reap the royal paychecks. Recent leaks like the Pandora Papers have revealed that the king has vast piles of wealth hidden offshore. Additionally, members of the royal family have been put at the head of a host of civil society organisations that are supported by vast foreign aid and lack the transparency that really should exist. Jordanians start raising this question, what is going on and why those people dominate this amount of resources, financial and economic resources, and why they practice power in this way. Uh, more people became, let me call it overtly and publicly, uh, saying or mentioning this, criticizing this, and from my point of view, Jordanians are not indifferent towards this transformation or towards this change in power structure. They are not indifferent. They are concerned about that. And more and more, they do have critical opinion towards this shift of power structure. The system of monarchy is not unique to Jordan. In the Gulf, they're the norm. But there is a careful balance struck. The ruling monarch says, I will share with you wealth from natural resources. You'll have roads and hospitals and international events and ludicrously tall buildings. And in return, you'll keep your complaints to an absolute minimum. And if you're still not happy, maybe prison will convince you otherwise. This is not a bargain that can be made in Jordan. The king does not have the natural resources of the Gulf, which can placate a populace. In the past, the Jordanian royal family has presented itself as the shining beacon, leading a nation. If we compare Jordan now to Jordan 50 years ago, Jordan society 50 years ago, state was the major outlet for modernization. State was the simple and the leading efforts for modernization at that time. And it was the uh, way to modernize the society. At that time, we are talking about illiteracy rate more than 40 or 50 percent, you know, and there is sort of collusion toward what we can call it king's behavior in the country as far as people feel that the state and the king uh, facilitate and serve modernization process in the society. With instant online access to a wealth of global knowledge, 
Jordanians no longer need a monarch to guide the way to modernity. Likely is, particularly among the youth of the country, they already know more than the 61-year-old monarch about modern life. And if they don't, then there's probably a TikTok video they can watch about it. The royal family and the king lost its opportunity to keep claiming that he is the solo uh, path for modernization. This is one thing. The second thing is media or communication revolution ends the monopoly of media by the state. Now Jordanians exposed to messages from all over the world. And uh, also there is no uh, sort of monopoly over uh, social media and the declining of the impact of mass media. All of these together as factors, I think changing the uh, dynamic or the relation between the society, the Jordanians and the world. The desire of the Jordanian royal family to maintain a sense of control in the country was recently exemplified with the case of Al Hudud. When we started it, me and uh, my two other partners, we uh, were hoping we were activists at the time. We were uh, we went out in the we were on the, the few some of the few that went out in the streets in Jordan. Um, it was incredibly depressing how that all fell apart very quickly. Um, this is Issam Arakat, the director of Al Hudud. I sat down for a chat with him on a stiflingly hot day in East London. A couple of years after that, we're like, you know, it's like there's not nothing much that's being said. Nothing is actually expressing what people are thinking. There's there's no real media. There's just like there was at the time there was just hibber. There isn't much that's sort of like saying what's what's going on in people's minds. Um, Luckily, we were also both, uh, like, the three of us were also creatives. So we were screenwriters and uh, writers and just sort of doing um, things in that field. And we felt sort of suppressed by both sides. The freedom of expression side of saying what we have to say, what we wanted to say um, throughout what was happening 2011 and post that. With friends, Isam started Al Hudud, a popular website which delivers some of the region's most cutting and humorous satire. If you've never heard of Al-Hadud, it's similar to the US publication The Onion, but about the Middle East and North Africa. Recent headlines have included Erdogan and MBS signed counter-journalism agreement, or meet the two presidential candidates that will not end the presidential vacuum in Lebanon. You get the idea. So we've, throughout the 10 years that we've been working, we sort of pushed lines slowly. Um, we've been, I, dare I say, smart about it and sort of just like pushed a little bit of the lines wherever we saw it was appropriate at the time. When we first started, we're like, like okay, we can't mention anyone by name. We can't do this, we can't do that, we can't do that, we can't do that because they'll get you sort of instantly. Um, but we sort of pushed the lines slowly until we, by a few years ago, were saying whatever we wanted, whatever we felt needed to be said. And in terms of offence, causing however necessary offence needed to get the point across. So that was our offence line. We don't mind offending as long as there is a point to it, basically. However, 
it would appear that recently they pushed the line in Jordan a bit too much. There's no communication. Uh, the, the most important way of holding people back is by not draw, drawing a clear line and by not communicating with you until they properly do. <laughs> um, so uh, since there was no way, because no one first, none of the team is in Jordan, I can say that, let's say, um, there was no one for them to actually go after and therefore there was no announcement of uh, our blocking or anything. Uh, we just woke up one day and we saw in the comments from our readers that we can't access your website anymore. The blocking of Al-Hadud was quickly condemned as censorship and an attack on freedom of expression. The non-profit organization Pen America said the Jordanian government's blocking of the satirical website demonstrates thin-skinned intolerance, not a commitment to free expression. Jordanian authorities should reverse this act of censorship. In the absence of an official reason for the blocking, it was speculated that it was in retaliation to the outlet's coverage of the recent Jordanian royal wedding. The Jordanian government has launched a campaign for the royal wedding. Be happy, dog, read one headline. While another jibed, where did the prince get all this money to cover the cost of the wedding? I asked Issam if getting blocked in Jordan is an indicator of success. I think we probably had a chip on our shoulder that we haven't been blocked in more countries so far. <laughs> I think whenever we talk to anyone, whenever we meet anyone, and then it's like, how do you say everything that you want to say as blatantly as that? Um, when we tell people that we're actually not blocked, people are really shocked. Like whenever you tell someone from a country that they were not blocked in other countries, they're like, that's not possible. So um, we felt that maybe we were lacking something at, at that point that we, must, we, we should be doing more. But at the same time, I think it goes back to what I was saying earlier. It's, it's in a way might be seen as a positive thing in terms of us, I think, confusing a lot of whoever would be blocking us. Because while we criticize Saudi's human rights record, we are very much after the Iranian, the Turkish, and the, um, uh, and the Qatari. So in that, in that regard, we're, I think we ended up not being seen as the enemy because we weren't, it was very obvious that we weren't working for a side towards another as most media in the region operates, as it's like, this is the apparatus, this is what uh, the, the goal of media is to work against others. So I think... Issam explained that he believes Al-Hadud was blocked in Jordan because Jordan wants to show that it can block websites. Think of it as authoritarian flexing. I think it's just about, like, that is the problem with the majority of countries in the region. There's, there isn't anything that you're depending on as, oh, it's like, oh it's like, I could do this or I could do that. It's just as simple as they could do whatever they want, whenever they want, because it's either that they can make the laws as they are now that supports whatever they're doing as, quote-unquote, uh, constitutional, or... They could just not do that and do whatever they want and leave you in jail for 40 years without a charge like it's happening in Syria. So like it's like obviously not comparable in a lot of ways, but like you know, um, it 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 just goes back to them being able to do whatever they want to do, and that is I think the most dangerous thing. Freedom of speech in Jordan is on the decline. 
critical opinions of the ruling royal family are not welcome. The Freedom House Index that reports every year on political rights and civil liberties around the world gave Jordan a score of just 33 out of 100. And by Issam's estimation, things are getting worse. I felt like until, say, the, the obvious line of 2011, um, things were stable, like it's a flat line of stable, you can't say much. Um, on, I remember very clearly throughout growing up and until probably around then, if you want to say something about the king, you'd whisper it in your own house to your own parents. Just like, just in case. And it's like, and it was, it was funny because like, it's just like not looking at it now feels like it's insane that we were doing that because like, like we're not in North Korea, you know. But the general feeling was that was just like you just don't know because they are everywhere. So, um, so no one did anything at all at the time. Um, so post that, there was a slow. Obviously, it's like in the beginning there, it felt like, like we, there something that could be done. There was like a, a dialogue of some sort with the with the government um and then as things re-stabilized uh for the government and it got more stable and opposition was less prevalent um they just got more hold of everything so um probably got better between 2011 and 2016 from 2016 till today i think it's gone on a direct downhill reminiscent of pre-2011 but also almost worse in terms of it being more explicit no one was doing anything then now people are doing something and things are happening to them but even though al-hadud is no longer available in jordan isam and his colleagues have no plans to stop i mean it's like yeah they're, they're, normally one speaks about you know just saying that the emperor has no clothes, right? Like, and like that's a sort of like a big thing that we saw ourselves as over the years. But I think the emperor has no clothes, but the emperor, emperor knows that. Emperor is shameless and says, "Yes, I do," and will continue to do that. And I think, in that way, I think we're not able to do as much. It's more about encapsulating. I think good satire can encapsulate the problem and a clear perspective on how it should be seen. Um, and I think this is the most powerful thing, thing that we can be doing is being able to reach people en masse, communicate with them in a language that's familiar and understandable, but also help them frame how they should see what's ahead of them. Jordan can often fly under the radar of events happening in the Middle East. They don't have vast sums of wealth. They haven't recently seen brutal and bloody conflict in their country. And they're not fighting an existential struggle with another nation. But for a while now, the country has been moving. Bit by bit, law by law. The recent cybercrime bill should stand out to the rest of the world as a clear indicator of the path that King Abdullah has been taking the country down and where it is heading in the future. Final words to Jamal Al-Tahat.
it's very clear that Jordanian uh, has become an authoritarian state. It was before semi-authoritarian state, but over the last five years, Freedom House report as per the Freedom House Index, it is an authoritarian. It's not sliding towards authoritarian state. It is authoritarian state. However, the model of this autocracy is to be uh, less bloody, but uh, people are uh, excluded from uh, job opportunities because of their opinion. People are uh, suppressed because of their political opinion and being deprived from the, their basic rights. And this is a common practice in the country over years. It's nothing new. The, the question is, from my point of view, can we get Jordan back to become a democratic country with the cooperation of the king? From my point of view, this is the big question uh, we need to answer from now on. Are you are you hopeful? No. Not at all. This episode of the New Arab Voice was written and produced by me, Hugo Goodridge. Our theme music was by Omar El Phil. The New Arab Voice will be back next week. Until then, you can find all our previous episodes on all major podcast platforms. You can also check out our Instagram page and Twitter account, both at the New Arab Voice, for additional content. We also have a weekly newsletter, which you can sign up for. Find the link in the show notes. You can subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an episode. And you can also rate and review, which helps us spread the word. Don't forget to follow The New Arab on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram for all the latest news, analysis and opinion from the region.